OpenServe is more than just SA's largest telecoms infrastructure provider. It's the answer to new ways of doing business, a connection to cutting-edge technology and infinite possibilities. A connection to tomorrow. Connect with us at openserve.coza. This episode of Talk Central is brought to you by Pinnacle, Africa's top ICT distribution business, delivering the exceptional every time. I'm Richard van der Berg. And I'm Duncan McLeod. This is Talk Central, episode 232 for the week starting 26 August 2018. Talk Central is brought to you by Tech Central. You can WhatsApp the show on 71 On Talk Central this week, we talk about NVIDIA's new rate tracing GPUs. Also this week, Telcom is very upset with Icasa over call termination rates. Nikon debuts mirrorless cameras to take on Sony. And with Apple's big keynote said to be just over two weeks away now, a look ahead at what to expect. It's Sunday, it's 1 p.m., and we're live on Live at Tech Central at Zero today. Actually, we're not live today because we've got some problems with our streaming software. Um, but uh, we'll be back on uh, live.techcentral.co.za next week. So, unfortunately, we're offline for anyone looking for us uh, uh, on the live site today. But the podcast is recording and will be up this afternoon. And it's time to talk. Of course, everything technology. Welcome to the show. How's it, Rehart? How's it, Duncan? Good, thanks. Shall we dive in with our quiz on this blustery Sunday afternoon? Mm, let's do it. First question. Vodacom this week claimed it became the first operator in Africa to roll out commercial 5G network, albeit on a very limited scale. In which country has it done this? And for a bonus point, which frequency band is it using? And which organization prepared a report on how much spectrum should be allocate, allocated to government's planned wholesale open access network, or WOAN? The report should be released this week. Third question, which country has banned Huawei and ZTE from helping operators build 5G networks, citing security concerns? And MultiChoice will name the successful bidder to launch a new 24-hour news channel on DSTV this week. What will the new channel replace? And the last question, which tech company has said this week that it found evidence of Russian cyber attacks meddling in U.S. politics? As always, we'll get to the answers to the quiz at the end of the show. But uh, what a busy news week this was, Rechot. So much on oh, the yeah. go, both locally and internationally. Um, but we're going we're to start with uh, a bit of the international news. And um, that was NVIDIA's big keynote. I think it was back on Monday, Monday evening, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, I unfortunately couldn't uh, watch it live because I had another meeting to attend. But uh, it was um, – I did catch some of it uh, post-event. And uh, it certainly was interesting. Um, you watched the whole thing live. What was your uh, take on what was announced? Yeah, it was a. It, I was a little bit underwhelmed, to be honest with you, by the event compared to the previous one, where they, it was more of an industry uh, conversation uh, launch around the, the the kind of industrial versions of these cards. They they talked. Uh, there was a lot of interesting information around what light is and how it works, and they were, you know, the, uh, the CEO went into a lot of detail around that stuff. Mm. I would have liked to see more performance related. Um, you know, real performance-related conversation on it. They didn't really, they didn't really say. You know, they they were talking a lot about the ray tracing stuff, mm. um, but not enough about. Okay, so is this really going to have any impact on 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 anything that we're doing right now? In my my suspicion is probably not. I mean, this is going to be a great future gen card until games kind of produce. Um, you know, the capability to really make full use of it. 
Um, mm. It'll be interesting to see what the performance benefit over the 1080 Ti is going to be. That's kind of what it comes down to. And yeah. that's kind of what I think a lot of people wanted. How, you know, this is a very expensive card, very a very expensive, expensive card. Very expensive. Um, you know, should we, uh, should, we look for, uh, should we look forward to it or not? I mean, yes, from a technical point of view, we are. But um, I certainly would want to see some benchmarks and real comparisons before I spend yeah. or even look at spending money on that. So they announced three cards. There was the ten, uh, sorry, the twenty eighty uh, RTX twenty eighty Ti, the RTX twenty eighty, and the RTX twenty seventy, which is the entry level of the three they announced. Um, I put entry level in inverted commas because it's a very yeah. powerful card. Um, I, I watched bits of the keynote, and I, I think I agree with you, Rehot. I, 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 as you know, I upgraded to an, a GTX 1080 Ti. Somebody got over all these letters and characters. Um, <laughs> uh, I upgraded to a, a 1080 Ti earlier this year, and I wasn't convinced watching the keynote that I need to upgrade now. Yeah. Look, I mean, there's no doubt that from a technical point of view, and what we're going to be seeing 2019, 2020 in terms of gaming is going to be phenomenal. Once this technology is kind of more broadly uh, embraced by the developers, you know, just the way that they develop their games or, or the way that, um, you know, they, they render their games at least yeah. um, on, on those engines. Um, so, yeah, I think this, yeah, this was a little bit underwhelming. But maybe we should ask a question, are we expecting too much? Do we really need a faster graphics card than a 1080? Um, just now, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes companies need to take a step forward, take a bit of a leap. And um, yeah. um, like they said in their presentation, you know, they've, they, they're taking a huge leap. I mean, that's a bit of marketing speak. But I can see uh, if you look at the, the jump from the 1080 in technology terms or in technical terms to from the, from the Pascal processor to the Turing processor and, and that jump in what the two cards are capable of, it seems like we're kind of on this brink of that technology generation jump um, where this might not really affect us now, but mm. uh, come, come the game and tech support, uh, this, we're going to wonder how we ever lived without it. If I had an older generation card, not a 1080, I, I think I would seriously be looking at these cards. But the fact that I invested recently, um, I think it's going to hold me off. Maybe I'll wait for the second generation mm. or the, mm. even the third generation of, of, this, of this ray tracing technology. But I must say the, they didn't have a lot of demos, but the demos they had were pretty impressive. I was particularly impressed with the uh, new Tomb Raider game. Uh, they had a, a scene, I think, somewhere in, set somewhere in South America, in like a, a street scene where with coffee shops yeah. and stuff. Uh, I thought that was particularly impressive when they showed um, ray tracing on and ray tracing off and the impact it has on shadows and uh, the ability to do sort of real-time shadow. There was that boy walking in the street with the with the sparkler and as they moved around the boy and how the, as the boy moved the sparkler around his head, how the shadows moved. That was That was very impressive, I thought. Yeah, and I mean, if if we if we look at this in geek speak and, and really understand what this means, you know, not just looking at it from kind of, oh, that would look nice in a game, but mm. what this really means for not just good-looking games, but, you know, potentially just the way that we experience these games. Because every little thing, you know, the subtleties, you know, if you have to turn off, um, like uh, on PUBG, for example, if you have to turn off the grass texture, mm. the game just doesn't look as appealing or it's not as fun to play. Now, if you bring that benchmark up and now everybody you know from a base level with this new ray tracing architecture is going to experience fantastic um, visuals within game you know now we've taken a leap in terms of what the basic acceptable level is of, of good gaming and that's just in gaming terms we're not even talking about um, CGI rendering using this for basic animators and then going up to the guys uh, who spend a lot more on those industrial mm. strength cards yeah you can do some impressive stuff with this uh 
there's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, I, I, the, it was a very technical event. Um, yeah. I think I felt they could have spent some more time showcasing the in-game footage and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but there's no doubt this is a big leap forward, this ray tracing technology and the impact it has on, on shadows and lighting. And uh, and I'm sure we haven't seen the full imp- imp- potential of this yet. And, and the um, as you say, the game developers are, are the, over the next year or two are going to be intru- introducing some some pretty interesting-looking Mm, uh, titles mm. using this technology. I've got a suspicion, though, that I mean, uh, obviously, no, not a lot of game developers have been exposed to this technology. But even looking at the Battlefield Five demo they had, I mean, as impressive it was, it was. It seemed very raw. It seemed mm. like they didn't have a lot of time with the tech. And I wouldn't be surprised if Nvidia didn't give, if there wasn't a lot of early access to the hardware simply because it wasn't ready in time or, or something Maybe. like that. Maybe. Um, so, so, so again, you know, we've got some. I don't even know if Battlefield Five will launch with us full on. You know, that's going to be another thing to see. Or do you need a patch afterwards? Or mm. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm really thinking out loud here. Mm. But uh, just coming back to what you were saying earlier about upgrading to this card, I think there's going to be a nice market for second-hand 1070s and 1080s once some of those guys start upgrading, those early yeah. adopters start going yeah. to, 20, to, to the to the new um, RTX range. Yeah. So then it will be a good idea to to invest in mm. a, a good second-hand card. Um, Do and, you want to you buy know, one? <laughs> I might be in the market, I'll let you know. <laughs> Look, my 1070 is still serving me very well. It's a very great mid-range card. It's a fantastic yeah. mid-range card. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's doing everything everything I can. I, I, I need to. Yes. But let's talk when you upgrade to that uh, to that new RTX. That's <laughs> no, no, it's, we, we all know that graphics card prices come down quite quickly after they've been introduced. Uh, so I wouldn't be – in a year from now, they're probably going to be 30%, 40% cheaper than they are now because these cards are expensive. I mean, the, 10, the 2080 Ti starts at $1,000. Mm. Uh, starting point. Uh, I think the NVIDIA Founders Edition was eleven or twelve hundred dollars, uh, somewhere yeah. in that ballpark. Um, and I, I see some uh, some of the uh, GPU manufacturers uh, on a couple of websites here in South Africa. I noticed EveTech in particular, uh, Pretoria-based online um, uh, computer retailer, was selling 10, uh, 2080 Ti's for around twenty five thousand rand. Mm, no, that's probably import uh, great import pricing as well. I don't know if it's officially available yet, yet. or is it pre-order pricing? Pre-order pricing. Oh, okay. okay. It, it does sound like there's a bit of margin that's being put in into that price. Um, quite a bit of margin, I would suggest. Look, I'm sure the first batch would be quite expensive if you if you if you if you bidding for a very small batch of graphics cards. Um, and again, as the you know, as they just produce more and as more people buy them, yeah, uh, it'll be a good. Uh, could, there'll definitely be price improvements and uh, second hand cards is going to be a, well I would hold on to my 1080 to be honest with you I think yeah. it's still a fantastic card um, and I don't see any reason unless you're running a big screen like you are which uh, for you it might benefit but I'm still running a much smaller screen not capable of running 4K yeah. so again you know that a card like that is not going to benefit me at all even, really. your, even your 1070 will power a 4K screen quite nicely um, it's in game where sure. it becomes for an sure. issue I suppose running yeah, games yeah. at 4K on max settings it even then, um, I think uh, a 1080 Ti will struggle a bit on on some titles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when you start to uh, it's when you start to push up the um, the refresh rates. Um, you know, you go for one of these 144 yeah, hertz monitors yeah. at 4K. Well, I don't think there's such a product in the market right now. I stand to correction. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. Uh, if there is, it's, it'll be incredibly expensive. But that's where we're going. We're going to high high refresh 4K monitors eventually, uh, and then you're going to need one of these 
2080s or, or perhaps even the successor to it uh, to uh, to power a monitor, a monitor like that and have a proper in-game experience. Yeah, and again, it's, I think it's a great tech leap, but it's underwhelming because we're expecting a lot based on, on what we're seeing around in terms of current games. We almost want to expect just another performance leap, hmm. but this is this is a performance slash tech leap. Like when we went to hyper-threading, you know, with uh, Pentium 4, I think it was, when it first yeah. introduced hyper what what multiple cores in the CPU, what, what is this thing? It's going to allow us to do so much more. <laughs> and now we're really seeing the benefit when you're looking at like the Adobe suite of tools hmm. where, you know, every application, you know, really benefit from multi-core threading. And I think in a graphics environment, we're seeing the same thing here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there we go, the RTX 2080 Ti. I really do want one, but uh, that price is a bit <laughs> steep for my liking. All beautiful-looking cards. They're very you'll nice probably looking. Have to, you'll probably have to upgrade a few other things in your computer really to benefit uh, the performance. I mean, you're going to want a high-end CPU. You're going to want the best motherboard and make sure your RAM is maxed out. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, again, you're not really getting the full benefit. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll we'll watch the prices; they'll come down, and um, maybe I'll uh, I'll dive in then. But uh, uh, <laughs> I've got other spending priorities later this year. I'm really eyeing, uh, waiting for those new iPads to come out. <laughs> what another Apple buy for you? That's going to be an <laughs> iPhone and an iPad. <laughs> well, we'll get to that a bit later in the show. <laughs> but um, I'm actually more excited about the new iPad than the iPhone. But we'll talk about that a bit later. So, uh, Telcom, I had an interesting chat with um, Sipo Maseko, who's the group CEO of Telcom, uh, I think on Thursday this week after the uh, after ICASA announced that they were going to once again start to bring down call termination rates, um, call termination rates for those who uh, don't know what they are, or just the fees that the operators can charge each other um, to carry calls between their networks. So if you place a call from Telcom to Vodacom, uh, there's an exchange of money that takes place, a permanent rate, and that's set by the regulator. It's, it's common practice around the world. It's usually it's, it's they have been coming down around the world, and ICASA is no exception to that. Uh, ICASA had a press conference on Thursday morning at which they said that uh, that uh, previous reductions in termination rates has had a direct impact on on uh, call prices, retail call prices in South Africa, and I think we have seen that, particularly the smaller operators taking advantage of of lower termination rates to bring down call charges. So, in general, I think they have had a good impact um, for on consumers. But interestingly, they've announced they're going to continue to cut them, and they're also going to le- reduce the level of what's called asymmetry, which is the um, um, benefit that ICASA gives to smaller players to encourage competition in the market uh, versus v- Vodacom and MTN, which don't get asymmetry. Uh, I think the level is set at 25% market share, if I remember correctly. Um so they're bringing down that level of asymmetry. They've always said that that, that, that was the plan, and uh, this is where it's going. Um, so I got a call from Telcom uh, to set up a, a meeting or a, a, a teleconference with uh, Sipo Maserko to talk about this. So I got on the line with him, and he was livid, very, very angry with Hikasa. Um, the story's up on Tech Central. Um, he warned that um, if Hikasa goes ahead with what it's planning to do here with the pricing, it's going to have the most severe impact on telecom, which he said is the um, the, the strongest um, challenger from a pricing perspective, retail pricing perspective in the South African market. And it's hard to disagree with him there because those free me plans really are very good. Um, but he said that um, if, if Hikasa goes ahead with this, um, that telecom may be forced to drastically cut its costs to the extent that the company may have to re- retrench up to 10,000 employees. Now, just remember that telecom employs only 18,000 employees, so we're talking about more than 50% of the workforce. 
that may simply be a negotiating position from the telecom CEO, um, you know, co- you know, overstate things uh, with the hope that ICAS is going to panic and back down. Um, it, it may also be um, a way of preparing the market for a further round of retrenchments at Telcom. Uh, I don't know. Sipo Mosek was having a press conference tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock in Pretoria to talk about this. Um, and so I look, out, look forward to finding out more um, what his thinking is around this. But um, he, he's talking doom and gloom, uh, disaster for Telcom, basically, if if these um, call termination rates as proposed by ECAS are, are introduced and uh, the level of asymmetry reduced. He's particularly unhappy with the fixed termination rate uh, being reduced. I think they're talking about by 2020 or 2021 reducing the fixed termination rate to one cent a minute. Um, from somewhere around, I think, six cents in, in that region now. Um, so big reductions in the termination rates. Um, but I don't think the operator should necessarily be surprised because we all know that ICASIP is going to be bringing down these rates, and they've also said mm-hmm. the level of asymmetry is going to come down. Um, it's an interesting debate. Uh, I actually kind of thought the whole call termination rate discussion had uh, had moved on, you know, people are much more interested in data now than they are in voice, but it seems it's still a very big issue for the operators. Yeah, look, it's a very interesting problem. Like you said, they should have seen some of us coming, some of this coming. Um, but pricing is always going to come down in stuff like in, in technology like this, where it's going to continue being pressure put pressure on by stuff like data. Um, it needs to be bringing those prices down to make voice, you know, still competitive. Yeah. I, I guess um, there's no doubt that these rates have come down very aggressively. If you remember, just eight years ago, the call termination rate on mobile was sitting at one rand twenty five a minute. That effectively set a base price in the market of one rand twenty-five. Um, that was very high. That was very high. Some people say that this uh, unfairly benefited Vodacom and MTN. Vodacom and MTN say nonsense. It actually helped companies like Celsi. Um But it's a complex argument uh, and discussion. Um, and uh, well, hopefully, we'll we'll Ecos uh, is going to have some public hearing. I'm not entirely sure they are having public hearings around this one, but if they do, they're certainly going to be an interesting, an interesting fight. Um, and uh, I wonder if this is all going to end up in court like it has in previous rounds. Um, no, I know we can't really – well, we can compare them, I guess. But data and voice, there's no, there's no termination, termination rates uh, on data, right? No. Why, why, no. Does voice, why, is voice, why does voice have it as opposed to data if we know the technology is similar? Well, I suppose the difference is when you phone, when you phone um, your friend on – if you're on MTN, you phone your friend on Vodacom – uh, on a normal voice call, you're, your friend on on Vodacom is not paying to receive that call. However, when you we, when you make a voice over IP call, both parties are paying. Oh, I see what you're saying. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good good way of looking at it. I mean, but then isn't there another model for voice then? I suppose you could charge the receiving party. But, if, but that's not going to go down well at all. I mean, imagine no, it won't. It, it won't, won't go well down. I think the U.S. does that, or used to do it. Um, you you pay to receive a call. Um, but I, I guess that is one way out of the termination rate thing: reduce termination rates to zero, and then uh, introduce um, fees to receive calls. But I, I really cannot see that uh, working in the South African mm-hmm. context, um, especially where there's so many poor consumers. Um, in the mass prepaid market, it's just not going to work. I mean, so some guy who, who, you know, who struggles to buy five megabytes of, of data is not going to be happy um, if he has to pay when, you know, 
his employer calls He's him. He's a sales marketing caller. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it won't fly but in this market. So they, how much? How much more would it cost me to phone you if you don't pay for the call, but I pay for that part of the haul as well? Shouldn't that still fall on me as a cons- I mean, if we're talking well, about does, this is effect. how, how do- he gets charged. Well, it does in effect because um, because you at the end of the day are paying the termination rate. Oh, straight up. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The operators. So there's no real on. way. There's no real way out of this. Right? <laughs> it's an interesting debate. I'm, I'm actually yeah, going to be having a, recording a podcast tomorrow with um, with Gregory Massel from Switchtel. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that discussion. They're one of the smaller players in this market. They're a voiceover IP specialist, uh, and he's indicated to me that they're also unhappy about the ECASA regulations. So I look forward to learning more from him in that podcast tomorrow, and the mechanics of exactly how the how this works and uh, what the different models might be. Um, he is intimately familiar with uh, call termination, so we'll um, we'll speak to an expert tomorrow and uh, and, and get get his views on it. Um, but there is there does seem to be some un- unhappiness out there. Uh, Celsi has also come out and said that um, they are unhappy with the level of asymmetry. I guess they would say that as the smaller player, um, but they say they need more asymmetry than Ikasa is proposing. Vodacom and MTN have said nothing about the draft regulations. I asked them for comment on Thursday, and they have not responded, which would suggest to me they're probably happy. Sorry, no, sorry, you broke up. That's why I, was, oh. I just got back onto it. Okay, what was your last part? No, I, I was just, I was just saying that uh, MTN and Vodacom, uh, you know, didn't uh, haven't responded to requests for comment. Uh, I suspect that means they're satisfied with the regulations. Hmm. I well, I guess I'd also ask a few other questions. So. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it's a story that's going to run and run. Um, the call termination debate in South Africa is not done yet. We, I guess everybody should just switch over to data now, and then we don't have to talk about voice anymore. <laughs> yeah, the problem. And we can free up all that beautiful spectrum too, and everybody wins. Yes. Yeah, the problem is not everyone can afford data. It's a big challenge. It's a big challenge. True. And coverage is still a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll take a quick ad break there. We'll be back right after this. Are you a search engine? Because you found me. I feel we have a strong connection. Well, you're pretty fly for a Wi-Fi. Should we drop it like a hotspot and head back to yours so we can show Max and Snuggle? Let's get giga with it. Uh, but I don't have fiber. Don't get caught in 50 shades of delay. Broadband your horizons and switch to Vox's super fast, super reliable fiber network. Experience the momentum. Connect your world. Visit us at vox.co.za forward slash fiber. Bitco is revolutionizing the way businesses connect. We're taking on your connectivity challenges and shooting our high-speed fiber internet across the country. Not just for some, but for everyone. Fiber is not a luxury, but a necessity for business, for life, for you. And being connected is everything. So network with a tier one internet provider and take your business to the next level of connectivity. Bitco.co.za. Connectivity is everything. Well, welcome back to the show. How's it, Rehart? How's it, Duncan? Have you bl- been blown away yet? The wind is howling. Uh, yeah, I had to close all the doors and windows <laughs> here because dust was covering my PC <laughs> layers. It's actually horrific. Yeah, we had a serious gust just now. I thought the roof was going to blow off. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, I, we haven't had August winds this strong in many, many years. I hope it means we're going to get good summer rain. 
Yeah, also not not this strong in August for a few years. Um, yeah, I think last year or the last few years it's been closer. You know, it's been more September where the weather has been. Just hope it brings a rain sooner. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it. I mean, the wind is supposed to blow in August, and they they say I don't know if it's uh, an old wives' tale, but they say if the wind blows, you get good good winds in August, you get good summer rain. But uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, if it if it is true, we're probably going to have floods. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so you've, I know you've been looking at the story uh, record, and we did talk about it a bit last week, but um, or the week before. But uh, uh, Nikon has finally take, officially taken the wraps of its high end mirrorless cameras. Uh, and uh, this is all about taking on Sony and mirrorless. Uh, and Sony, of course, is doing incredibly well in the both the DSLR market and the mirrorless market. Uh, you've had a look at the story. Um, yeah. Should we be excited about these new Nikon cameras? Look, I think it's yes. If you're a Nikon fan, definitely. Um, if we look at what the new the new Nikon Z7, I mean, it's firstly it's long overdue. Nikon should have done something like this quite a while ago. They've been seriously lacking on the video department for quite a while. Um, I actually yesterday played with the new mid-range D5600 from Nikon. And I was a little bit underwhelmed, to be honest with you. It's a nice camera, a nice body, but uh, in certain aspects, in, in focusing and especially in the video, mm-hmm. it just it just failed a lot. It which, just didn't. So I missed a, which model was that? The D fifty fifty six hundred or the yeah the fifty six hundred sort of entry level type model. Yeah, that was a, yeah, yeah that's kind of their mid range mid range. Um, but I mean these the, you know the technology should still be sound. They should still yeah. you know, perform beautifully. Um, and Nikon, I don't know, in my opinion, has just has just not stayed ahead of the market when it comes to versatile cameras. Now, Sony, on the other hand, you were comparing to, and they're definitely getting off to that market because Sony, with their versatile A7, and that's why it's such a popular camera. It's it just it's just an all-round fantastic video camera, and it's all for all-round fantastic um, stills camera, and that's why a lot of these production houses are using those. So Nikon is obviously trying to get back some of that high-end market, I think, um, mm-hmm. and the guys especially that do photo and video shooting. I think that's a big market for photography manufacturers these days because mm-hmm. a lot of these creatives aren't just shooting stills anymore it really is that dual purpose um requirement yeah which is why all of these guys are going to going to mirrorless because there's no reason to have a slr um uh, slr camera that shoots video uh, that element although it still works well for the photo side uh, it just lifts mm. up when you're shooting video yeah, oh, so by taking out that is or oh, that uh, lens um, reflect element, um, <laughs> I you think know, the wind and like higher. I think the wind is blowing havoc with your internet is, connection. So you were you were saying before uh, the uh, internet started to fall over there that um, that uh, <laughs> uh, what were you saying? <laughs> well, okay, so so Nikon. I mean, in, in, if it in, in, in quick recap, uh, Nikon. Um, Nikon is, has been behind with the with the digital video market for 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 a while now. And if you look at modern photographer or, or the photographer today, and what they need to do is they often need to shoot video and stills. And I'm not talking about full length feature films, but they do shoot video clips, especially for for marketing and social media use and those kind of things. And that's where Sony has really captured the market. They've with their high end A7 uh, III. Um, that is a fantastic all-round video shooter and photo camera. Um, even Canon has been losing out to the likes of um, the Panasonic even with their Lumix, their Lumix, Lumix range, or mm-hmm. I, I think that was the name. Um, so it's been, it's been, you know, photography, digital photography has become a different beast. And, and with this, uh, the Nikon's finally at the 
plus where they're saying, okay, we're stepping up to the plate and we've got something for our fan, even if it's high-end. Now, a new um, adapter, a new mount lens, a new mount, which is slightly bigger. It's called the Z mount. It's slightly bigger than the F mount. Um, obviously, there's going to be a use your old lenses on. But, there, again, the reason for this is the new mirrorless format you can do a lot more with it. Your body can be smaller. That the, the distance between the lens and your sensor can be much smaller as well. Now, that also allows you to do a lot of other things, potentially mounting any camera's lens on there because you, don't, you, you can just push your lens further away. And that's usually been the distinction between a lot of these, these camera bodies, the distance between yeah. the lens um, and that sensor. Is that why they um, have to use a and new also with the is that why they have to use a new Sorry. mount? Why do they have to use a new mount? Why can't they use the Nikon F mount? I wouldn't say that's why they want it. With new technology, a new mount makes a lot of sense because you can, um, with a bigger mount, you can allow for bigger lenses to allow more lighting. I see. I think they said they're announcing a 0.95 uh, f-stop lens as well, which is obviously a massive, allows a lot of lighting. It obviously gives you incredible depth of field. Mm. But again, we're talking about uh, people that, you know, they're, Pushing the boundaries of creativeness these days is, you know, there's there's no more technical limitations to what we want to be doing. Even if there is technical limitations, you just push beyond it. So having a mount or having a lens system that you can push the technology further um, by the likes of uh, allowing more light in, potentially mm. adapters that you can fit any other lens onto. Because like I said, because the, the distance, I think that that's also the – the Nikon Z7 is the lens with the closest sensor. The the body, the um, and the sensor are very close to each yeah, other. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no. Look, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But this is this is a fantastic entry. I don't. I haven't played with it yet. But looking at the specifications um, and seeing some of the comments, the focusing is another one of the big things. Um, it's very quick and it's got a lot of focusing points. Um, I'm just trying to find three focusing points so it basically mm. covers the entire screen yeah um uh, yeah so without getting it in hand I, I, yeah 10-bit 4.2.2 um video output which basically means it's going to give in, in fact i think this is going this is the highest rated sensor in that range uh, in in um in its market yeah. 10-bit obviously means just better depth in, in color um, and the 4.2.2 means the layers, the, the, the way that the, the pixels get read. Uh, it's well worth reading up. Uh, I don't know the complete technical explanation for this, mm -hmm. but it's basically just how it reads. It, it just reads more pixel, uh, pixels on the sensor. Okay. Um, it's the rows, four rows, two by two. So that's just how it uh, measures the pixel rating. Well worth reading into if you're into that kind of thing, but it just means that the Nikon is going to be fantastic for people who want fantastic color out of the color depth out yeah. of their shots. But these are pro-level cameras and they don't come cheap. I think that that uh, no. top one was about four and a half thousand dollars. Yeah, from what I've seen, roughly local pricing to be estimated to be is probably about forty-five to fifty thousand. That's just is that that's just more than the Sony. I think. I think that's on. The, what are the two the models? Sony. It's the Z. Z, Z, uh, Z7 and the Z5. So it's, I think it's a Z5. It's probably it going to come in at around 45. I think the, the Z7, if that's mm. the high-end one, is probably going to come in at around 80, 85. Yeah, look, I mean, these <laughs> these high-end cameras are ridiculous. The Sony A7R uh, 3 is 56,000. That's body only. Body only, yeah. And that's kind of the, the high-end one that it's competing mm. with. With yeah. lenses, now you're adding another... Probably another ten or twenty thousand, yeah. depending on which one you go for. Yeah, I, I did see that um, there, there will be an adapter, so you can uh, mount um, some Nikon F mount lenses to to the to the Z series mirrorless. 
Uh, not all Nikon lenses are supported, though. But there is an adapter. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. But I have recently bought a DSLR, Nikon, um, so I'm not really in the market for one of these mirrorless. I wish, uh, I wish I knew these were coming, though, before I made the decision, um, although I probably wouldn't be spending 80,000 rand on a camera without lenses, to be honest. Well, the question, the question is, do you shoot more photo? Do you shoot more video? I mean, what, what is More photo. I mean, you're, just, you're a hobbyist, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is fantastic. It is a new wave. It's, every digital camera is going to be mirrorless in a few years, without a doubt, and, yeah. and, and, unless you have the the old SLR keep using yeah. this. I can't see any manufacturer keep doing DSLR. It's, there's no point in having that. The sensors are getting so good. Mm. Um, so how big you can make that sense in that body. Yeah. Anyway, our internet seems to be failing us today, which is a bit surprising since we're both on fiber. But Rechat, you are starting to break up quite badly. Um, I wonder, Again. If, we, oh, I wonder wow. if we should reboot routers. So we are back now connecting not over fiber, but over LTE because uh, Vumatel seems to be having some issues today. Um, but uh, hopefully the cellular connection is going to be uh, stable. Quite ironic, right? Um, so, <laughs> but it actually sounds pretty good. So uh, the last item on, on, on the list this week, and I'm not sure there's a huge amount to, to chat about here. And I've, I actually put it on the list because Toby Shapshak was uh, from Stuff Magazine was going to be uh, on, on the show today, but he's had a issue with a burst geezer. So he's had to go and attend to that. Uh, Toby will hopefully be on the show next Sunday, um, but it's on the, it's on the list. So let's talk about it anyway. And that's Apple's uh, keynote, which is coming up uh, in just over two weeks from now, according to the rumors. 12th of September is the rumored date, although no official invites have gone out yet. Um, I'm not sure there's a huge amount we can say at this stage. Uh, we're still expecting three new iPhone models and new iPad Pro models, hopefully, because those iPads are the ones I'm really keen on. Yeah, um, yeah, the phones as well for me. I don't know. Um, phones have in the last while become a little bit less exciting. I don't know what it is. They just all seem to be the same. It's been a bit boring. So even the new phones don't really entice me too much. But I agree with you that the, the iPads have become with the iPad Pro. We've kind of seen a different direction with with Apple and where they they've kind of gone back to listening to the pro consumer, the pro user, mm. and what they want. And there's a lot of us out there who just want. Great specs, but also certain functionality that, you know, some of it needs to be pushed and some of it needs to be kind of stuff that we need to have in our machines every day. Yeah. And I think with the new, with the new, um, the new iPad, we might see some of that um, rolling in. And we're expecting version two of the Apple Pencil as well um, to be announced at the yeah, iPhone event. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of focus on that on that pencil um, at, at this year's keynote because uh, the rumor is that it's also going to be supported on the iPhone, um, the new iPhone models. Um, mm. And uh, the new iPads apparently going to have some sort of magnetic dock or something. Um, this is all rumor, of course, speculation on the internet. We won't know until the 12th of September, but um, apparently it's going to be easier to stow the pencil with the iPad. Um, and possibly with the new iPhone models as well. Um, I really like the idea of using using that Apple Pencil with um, with a nice uh, redesigned iPad, powerful iPad Pro model, um, mm. particularly with Photoshop coming to the iPad soon um, or next year sometime. Um, I think it's going to be a compelling proposition. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, a lot of naysayers and a lot of people that don't, myself included, who, who kind of look at those things and say, but why do, it seems like we're going back a step, but mm. it's not the same thing. I mean, the stylus we used to use with our old, uh, 
uh, you know, uh, palm pad, uh, palm compact device, I, palm devices, compact pack, the packs. Yes, yes. that's. Uh, the, <laughs> I mean, that was that was the first iteration of doing something like that, and it was terrible yeah. at the best uh, of times. What you can do with the iPad Pro, and that's what I was referring to earlier, what you can do with that pen and the iPad Pro at the moment, what I've seen a lot of creatives do with that is beyond incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just pros that generally need that. I mean, there's a lot more you can do with it. We've seen with Samsung and their Bluetooth pens, and then you can take photographs with and that kind of thing. It's a bit of a it's, – it's a small feature, but it's a handy feature for a cell phone user. Yeah, for sure. I look forward to seeing what uh, Apple will bring in terms of maybe apps or you know software that allows more use of that pencil. A really good note-taking app, for example, still a good place in this world, uh, still a place in the world for something like that. Yeah, yeah. Imagine Adobe Illustrator coming to the iPad and what you could do with it then. Um, oh yeah, no, definitely. Look, uh, you can you can already export vectors from from most of these drawing apps and then import it into into any other application. True, um, but it can it, it can obviously always be better. Yeah. So I don't think there's too much more to be said on that, but we will talk more in more detail about the world of Apple in our next podcast when Toby Shapshak will be joining us. I'm looking forward to that. So we'll we'll park that one for now. Um, and I, I would imagine that by this time next, uh, when we're recording the show next Sunday, that uh, the uh, official invites would have gone out and we'll know the exact date. But the rumor currently is the 12th of September, which makes sense. And let's move on to our regular features. We don't have a winner this week. I really was trawling around looking for a winner, but I could not find one. Um, So I'm afraid there isn't one this week, but we do have a loser. So our our loser this week is Mzwanele Manyi, the uh, founder, well, not the founder, but certainly the proprietor uh, of the media houses ANN7, or as it was renamed Afro News, Afro Worldview, and uh, the now defunct uh, New Age newspapers. Of course, uh, ANN7 or Afro Worldview was taken off the air about a week ago, um, and MultiChoice is in the process of, uh, of, in fact, they're going to be announcing this week who the uh, who the new winner is for the or the successful bidder is for the new 24-hour news channel on DSTV to replace ANN Seven slash Afro Worldview. Um, but Mzwanele Mani really did buy two dogs here um, from the Guptas, um, mm-hmm. and not really a surprise that uh, they failed, um, unable to get you know change change in in the uh, government in South Africa. Zuma no longer president, um, unable to. Get the special favors in terms of advertising and uh, the new age breakfast that they used to run. So he really did buy a dog. I don't know what where this leaves him in terms of debt, etc. But uh, I think he's our worthy, worthy loser this week. Both titles or both um, media houses uh, have effectively ceased to exist. Uh, ANN Seven doesn't it also show you where the rot went or where the money flowed? Yeah, exactly. When the streams dried up, or when the when the dams dry up, you know, when the streams dry up, the yeah. dams go too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's our loser of the week, Mzwanele Manyi. And uh, what's your pick this week, Rechard? So my pick is uh, my so the machine that I've been conver- that I've converted from. So you know I've been a long time Mac user, um, and then I switched because I needed something more powerful. And I've been using this machine for about uh, a month and a half now, and it's the Alienware 17R4. So there's a R5 out now, which is just a slight upgrade, but uh, they're essentially identical in, in terms of what they are. But what a fantastic machine. Now, this is not your average laptop, though. This thing is a bit of a monster. I think you've, you've held it in your hands once and uh, felt the weight. Yes, you can, oh, you that can one, bench, yes, yes. Bench presses with this machine. <laughs> it's a mainframe. But that's not... 
It's a mainframe, yeah. <laughs> but but to be honest with you, that's exactly why I got it. The thing is, this has got it's it's a it's a it's a powerhouse. Um, it's got a it's got a Core i7. Um, I'm just calling up the specs now. I actually forgot. 16 gigs of RAM. It, the reason why I got it is the 1060. It's got a GeForce 1060 graphics card. So um, I don't necessarily need a 1080 for the video editing that I'm doing. The 1060 is plenty, but it also plays fantastic games. I've been able to play everything um, that I play on my main PC. Um, on my desktop, uh, on, was, my, on my notebook as well. I was about to say, you didn't really get this for video editing, did you? You got it to say you could play PUBG in the pub. <laughs> yeah, you saw the photograph. That <laughs> I, is, I was just going to mention that, yes, the PUBG in a pub is um, exactly where I'm taking this venture of mine. Um, <laughs> being able to video edit and playing PUBG in a pub is my dream. <laughs> but... Um, so, <laughs> yeah, but it, it's actually fantastic to, to be able to do that. Um, it's got an Intel Core i7-7700. Um, and again, plenty powerful, running at 2.8 gigahertz. Um, with a 1060 graphics card, it's got a, a built-in SSD of 256 gigabyte with a one terabyte uh, secondary hard drive to store all the larger files. The other thing that I love about this is the keyboard. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of a lot of notebook keyboards because a lot of guys take it in a lot of different directions. But this one, I really love the Apple Mac uh, keyboard, keyboard. And this has felt a very close transition to that kind of typing style. I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's pretty fascinating, it's, it's, a, it's very much a conversation starter as well, this Alienware machine. It's got a um, pretty impressive RGB um, covering all over it. So, and everything obviously is customizable. So it's got um, two L, uh, two RGB strips on the top and the bottom sides of the case. So on the side of the lid and on the bottom of the body, and you can customize it. So mine's got this alien green, blood green color, mm-hmm. and it looks fantastic. And, and that kind of color can run throughout the keyboard. Uh, the touchpad <laughs> also when he touches it lights up. Um, and it's got a full RGB backing keyboard that I can change the color scheme of. So, so basically, I, I, just, I mean, it's beautiful. Basically, you've got a portable disco when you go to the pub as well. Yes, yes. Now I take the body with me wherever I go. <laughs> now on the note of on the on the topic of audio, the the audio on this is also pretty impressive. Um, there's no when I'm sitting at home, I often would use this as a secondary machine to stream either something that I'm watching that I'm dictating um, if I'm transcribing something or if I'm just watching YouTube or a movie on this while I'm working on another machine. Um, the sound on this is really good, even for gameplay. When I'm sitting in the pub, it's quite interesting to see people's reactions yeah. when they see a, gun, a gunshot go off. Probably not the, the cleverest thing to do, but everybody in the pub knows me that I'm playing this game with this bright, illuminated uh, notebook. I don't think anybody can miss me. But in terms of, perfor- <laughs> in terms of performance, this machine is fantastic. Um, its it rendering time is great. For 4K video, it works superbly. Um, and then obviously for gameplay, definitely an all-rounder. Now, obviously, like I said before, the, it's it's quite a hefty machine, so you just need to to be aware of that. It's not it's n- nowhere near the same size as a portable notebook that the 15 inch you can carry with you easily. I actually need to invest in a different bag as well just to be able to carry this thing around. It's luggable, um, but I, yeah, it's luggable. Yeah, I actually don't I don't take it in a bag. I just carry it like it is. And again, it's 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 a it's a powerhouse, and that's what I want. You know, I don't necessarily want a dainty machine yeah. right now. I need something that can do the job um, anywhere I go. What's the pricing? So they go for around 30,000 Rand, depending on your spec. So between 29 and 35 or 40, you can get them fully spec the, the R5 range now for about, I think, 60 grand. If you go for one with Everything. a brand new 100, yeah, with a brand new high res screen and a one terabyte SSD. Okay. So from about 30 to about 60, and uh, you can get something that will suit your needs. Right. If you're looking for something like that, 
I prefer lightweight stuff. I wouldn't, couldn't imagine taking the Alienware 17R4 on an international business trip. <laughs> Yeah, but even then, I mean, it, it, if if you need to have a full-on desktop machine experience, right? Yeah. you're not going to lug your desktop with you. There's no <laughs> way you're going to do that. So if that's if that's a need, I mean, if you if you want to just do do writing, like in your case, you're not going to be editing video and doing high-end stuff. So yeah. words and, and and photography editing and that kind of thing will be plenty. And then obviously a small machine makes sense. Yeah. But there's 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 something nice to be said about having all that power with you wherever you go, especially when you're doing editing, video editing, because that's a constant demand for processing power. Yeah, yeah. Has, has anyone in the pub wanted to play PUBG with you when you've been there? <laughs> Uh, yeah, a few guys, but then I say to them they can install it on their phone and play it themselves. The thing is, the battery life also isn't that long, right? So I don't really want to relinquish uh, my – I do take the charger with me. The charger is, is, is also a fair size, but, um, you know, that's not really about that. It's just having the portability. Yeah. It's really just about a quick game here and there. So I don't True. really sit there and play hours on end. <laughs> Although they do have very good fiber, which is why I'm doing it. Oh, right. Okay. You're not doing it over cellular. I thought you might have been connecting via mobile. No, it's, it's about finding the right places with the right fiber that's not uh, capped. Yeah, and the right latency because uh, that's or, so you know, important. The, it's not throttled, not throttled, yeah. yeah and latency yeah, exactly. so you don't get killed. Exactly. So my, yeah, my yeah. pick this week uh, is a brand new app for Windows. It's called Windows 95. What? No, man, that's <laughs> an old app. <laughs> Seriously, um, <laughs> I saw the story on The Verge earlier this week. Um uh, someone, I think he works for uh, the company that does that business collaboration software called Slack. Um, uh, he's, la- he's basically packaged Windows 95 as an application for Windows. Uh, so I downloaded this thing. It's a couple of hundred meg. You fire it up and it launches Windows 95 on your Windows 10 machine. Uh, <laughs> It's a bit That's pointless. Interesting. What do you do? What do you do with it? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> what do you do? Nothing. You can play solitaire and Minesweeper. Um, you you uh, you can just see what Windows ninety five was like and how far we've come. It really was. I mean, I can't imagine ever going back to that software. Um, it you know it was it was groundbreaking at the time, but it is so horribly dated now. But it, it's fun. Just I mean, to, how many hours? How many, Sorry, hours? how many hours do you remember playing on nine, Windows 95, just discovering all those things when you first got it? I mean, yeah. it was a massive leap forward. It was, it was. And, and now it's just dated and horrible. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, so it, it's worth a download. That's... It's worth a download. Just search Windows 95 app and it'll, it'll, it'll pop up in Google. Um, it's, it's, it's good for a little, little bit of fun and a poke around if you, if you used Windows nostalgia. 95 back in the day. Nostalgia, exactly. Um, I uninstalled it again pretty quickly, but it's um, it's it's good, good fun to have a look at and remind remind you how, remind yourself how far we've come in computers over the last twenty five thirty years. Now, the question is, can it connect to the internet? Is it a full machine, virtual machine style thing, or is it just an app that's it's, running independently? It is. I'm not sure how they built it. Actually, I don't think it's a VM, but I stand to be corrected. Um, I do know that if you fire up Internet Explorer. Um, it doesn't connect to any websites. Although I'd be surprised if it worked anyway, because you know the internet was a very different place back in 1995, and um, I suspect that uh, if you were to try to browse the internet with uh, Internet Explorer, what version of Internet Explorer came out with Windows 95? I can't even remember. Like version three or something. Six or something. No, six was much later. Much later. Yeah, yeah. probably three or something. Uh, Well, that's why I was asking because it would be very interesting if a whole bunch of Windows 95 machines started popping up on the internet. (laughs) Internet, Obviously, all very insecure. 
Um, because that, I mean, they don't support it. There's no updates for it anymore. So no. even at whatever latest version this was, it would, could be it would be very vulnerable. I would imagine. Mm. Yeah, for sure. But I, I really doubt that that old version of Internet Explorer would successfully load any website. To be honest, <laughs> I'm sure you can get a version of Chrome for Windows 25. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I seriously don't think so. You might be able to find an old version of Netscape Navigator. <laughs> Ooh, now there's a reason to install this. <laughs> but uh, the, the internet browser doesn't work, so unfortunately you can't install anything. Um, but it's it's uh, it's it's a bit of nostalgia, a bit of fun. Uh, download mm. it, have a couple hundred megs. Cool idea, though. I like the idea mm. to it's, preserve that memory forever too of what it what it was. Yeah. Yeah, of course, it raises questions about preserving old software like this. Um, you know, I'm sure Microsoft keeps uh, keeps all the versions preserved, but uh, you know, oh. shouldn't the software at some point by now have been released into the public domain and you know allow people to 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 store it in libraries or whatever you do with old software? Yeah, I'm sure. That, that, look, that's a big debate. That's probably a whole topic for another podcast. I mean, looking at uh, software and and how. I mean, because even if you keep the software, you can't play it in a computer. Hundred years from now, it'll be useless. It'll yeah. just be yeah. bits and ones and zeros that you can read potentially on a different file reader. Yes. Unless you have, I guess, emulators that can. But who's going to keep developing emulators hundred years down the line for these things? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe that uh, the the NVIDIA um, RTX 25,000 Ti um, extra, <laughs> whatever you whatever it's called, <laughs> will be very good at running Windows 95 and uh, Solitaire and Minesweeper. Imagine how many instances you can run on the <laughs> GPU memory core alone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that might, by then might cause a warp in the space-time continuum or something. Uh, anyway, we're talking. We are talking absolute. We are talking absolute crap. So I think we should probably wind up the podcast. <laughs> Remember, if you have any, yeah, let's do. If you have any feedback on the show, our email address is info at techcentral.co.za, and our uh, WhatsApp number is oh seven one triple nine double one double one. And I've almost forgotten to do our quiz results again. Uh, do you want to do the first question? <laughs> Certainly. First question. Vodacom this week claimed it became the first operator in Africa to roll out a commercial 5G network, albeit on a very limited scale. In which country has it done this? And for a bonus point, we wanted to know which frequency band did it use? Uh, and the answer there is Lesotho, and the frequency band is 3.5 gigahertz. And which organization prepared a report on how much spectrum should be allocated to government's planned wholesale open access network? And that report should be released this week. And that is, of course, the CSIR. Third question, which country has banned Huawei and ZTE from helping operators build 5G networks, citing security concerns? And the answer is Australia. And it also makes you wonder about where these guys are getting the information from, right? For banning something as big as this. Yeah, it could just be jingoism. Multi-choice mm. will name the successful bidder to launch a new 24-hour news channel on DSTV this week. What will the new channel replace? And that, as we mentioned in the podcast, is Afro Worldview, formerly known as ANN7, which was pulled off the air this month. And the final question. Which tech company said this week it has found evidence of Russian cyber attackers meddling in U.S. politics? And the answer is Microsoft. Microsoft, indeed. And that's our show. Uh, we're playing out with a bit of music. My choice this week. And um, I think I thought we'd play one of my favorite bands off an album called The Division Bell. This is a track called, what's it called? I can't find it now. High Hopes. <laughs> <laughs> High Hopes of The Division Bell by Pink Floyd. Uh, until next week, from Rechon and myself, cheers. Ciao, ciao.
place we lived when we were young In a world of magnets and miracles Our thoughts trade constantly and without boundary The ring of the division bell had begun So many times The grass was green 